Sadly, I already made my mince pie chart joke last week, but I'm happy to recycle <laughs> it again. Girl, I think listeners would appreciate it. It's really just saying the three words, mince pie chart. Hey, right. So this week's day to day with me, Luke Barrett. And me, James Somper. Today we're going to be talking about what else? Christmas. Because data journalists have to celebrate Christmas as well. Yes. But we had uh, a few of our favourite uses of data to tell stories about Christmas that we wanted to bring up. Um, so, James, why don't you kick us off? So, the first story which I've got is by. Kate Hughes, who's money editor for The Independent Online, her article, The Real Cost of Christmas, How Christmas Spending is Rising Every Year and More of Us are Struggling to Clear Last Year's Festive Costs. So she has used uh, a sort of array of information from various different consumer think tanks. And she's come up with some quite interesting conclusions. One of which is that on average, the normal person spends about £54,000 each throughout the course of their life on Christmas. Uh, and then actually if we didn't do Christmas, it would save people in total an average of £11 billion. £11 billion? Pounds. Yeah. So she was saying, I mean this is where in terms of the sort of minutiae of it, it gets quite interesting. The average household will alone on the 25th spend around £174 on food and drink, uh, ad- averaging up to a total expenditure per person of £22.50 uh, per person on you know, food, booze, uh, etc. Wow. But, but also, in terms of, in terms of uh, other things which people don't necessarily take into account uh, over Christmas, like travel costs, she has said the average family car will travel on, uh, in general, about 608 miles over, over the festive period, demanding an extra one and a half tanks of fuel, uh, but also um, one point, around 1.3 million people in Britain uh, try and escape over the festive period uh, by going overseas. And that collectively adds up to about uh, near, no, over one billion pounds. So it's about £760 per person in total. Wow. I, I don't know how to feel about all this spending. I suppose it's not really... It's not, not, it's not a bad thing, is it? Yeah. Well, people can spend their money how they like. I mean... Um, it does... It is... If you like, it's quite a good representation, isn't it, of how important Christmas is to our society. Yeah, in a rather sort of shallow, materialistic <laughs> kind of way. I mean... With how hot it is in this room, we probably don't need to go to Jamaica or Barbados <laughs> because it's uh, this uh, the heat in here do, do makes an ample substitute. Listeners don't know, but every week the day-to-day presenters go through. It's like the being fires it's like being in a sauna. 
in order to bring you um, our insights. Yeah, I mean, we're, as, as you can probably see, we're both on the water. If you're following us yeah. on Periscope or yeah, Facebook we're on Live, water, We've got a bottle be. of scotch just in case things get a bit hairy for later. That's strictly, that's strictly confidential. Yes. Uh, the scotch hasn't been opened, I hasten to add. <laughs> um, we try and take our journalism seriously. So I think the story I found interesting, because I know people say that oh, Christmas is a... It's about spending time with your loved ones and getting in the Christmas spirit and good cheer and things like that. But actually, it is a serious financial exercise. And I think that um, is illustrated quite well. What about your, your story, Lee? Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Um, well, I, <clears throat> I had... There's a there's a, a it's not actually done by a newspaper, but the PNC, which is a financial services uh, company, mm. have done what apparently they've done for more than thirty years, which is calculate the prices of the twelve gifts from the classic carol, the twelve days of Christmas. Um, so let's should we go through them one by one? Yeah. Well, this year will cost you $209.99, which is actually down 2.3% on, on last year because of uh, oversupply of game birds. Uh, the pear tree, on the other hand, stays strong and makes up the majority of the, uh, the expenditure. We won't go through all of these, but I'll just um, pick out some of the more interesting ones. They don't really they don't really change in value. They're no. still five hundred and ninety nine dollars ninety six for all four. It's nice that they uh they bring that down from <laughs> four six hundred. I didn't think that sellers of calling birds uh generally went in for that strategy, but apparently it's very important in that industry. Are especially expensive. That's going to cost you a massive thirteen thousand one hundred twenty-five dollars. Wow! So if you're thinking about buying some swans for your true love this year, just be aware that it, it's going to be a pretty serious investment. Hmm. It claims that you can buy eight maids of milking. $58 I'm not sure that's true because you can't actually buy maids but they've, they've, they've calculated that with the, uh, the US federal minimum wage which is of course very low I'm not really sure how they've calculated this one they haven't given the methodology um, but they claim that it costs five 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 and a half thousand dollars but lords, I mean, they don't, they don't mm. have salaries. I don't, I don't know what that is. Anyway, it's a fun. That sounds a bit tenuous to me. <laughs> I don't know about that one. It's a fun piece of data. How much would you pay for a lord a leaping? What a, a, a member of the House of Lords jumping up and down in front of me? Yeah. Well, it depends if they were a hereditary peer or a life peer. Yeah, that's know. true. I mean, who knows? Like. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. It um, would vary according to the law. I'm not necessarily sure I'd like to see a member of the House of Lords jumping up and down. <laughs> in front of me. I mean, if they were doing, you know, party tricks and after dinner speaking and that was part of the routine, then obviously that's fine. <laughs> now, 
as we all know, Christmas uh, is the, the, the time of year where a relatively uh, large majority of us do have a you know, few after-dinner tipples and the occasional half-pint now and again. Um, oh, speak, I speak for yourself, James. <laughs> never known. Boozmus, as it's known, um, is probably for the drinks industry in Europe the most lucrative time of year. But also, in terms of the damage that inflicts on our bodies, there's a, I think uh, there's quite a big detachment that people have between uh, just you know a couple of glasses of eggnog. <laughs> uh, and this, this sort of disassociation about what the effects of that level of drinking are. So it's very interesting um, article in the FT um, by Anjana Ahuja. By the way, we'll link to all of these articles in yes. the show notes. I probably mispronounced names. So I apologise if she's listening. Um, which basically goes through some of the health effects in stats about um, Christmas drinking so in 2008 in christmas we alleged britain allegedly got through 567 million liters of booze over the christmas period uh the predominant predominance of that was cheap booze that's up 42 percent from 1980 um as well as that she also that must be related to the growth in population as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get on. We'll get on to that in a second. Yeah, we'll get on to that in a second. But I thought one of the quite interesting things was the fact that so our sort of weekly intake of alcohol shouldn't exceed fourteen units a week. And she said, on average, during the festive period, one in three generally, I think, will do. Well, yeah, they'll exceed that. I'm not sure if it's one in three, but that that limit is in excess. And I saw a piece. Um, a couple of days ago, I think it was the Guardian. I'm not sure, which basically said that Christmas um, will see the greatest level of people going in to hospitals for liver-related problems. But that's more in the new year. So I thought it was an interesting time. But in terms of the the, the interesting data um, story in this particular piece, it said that obviously drinking is going up nationally. But I think the important thing to emphasise is the fact that although we now appear to have drunk, uh, drink as a society more than we've ever done, uh, we apparently drink as much as we do now as the Edwardians did. It's just throughout the last 100 years there was this sort of dip by the First and Second World War. Uh, and it's really? gone, gone up again. Um, obviously that was because of ra- beer was rationed. In the Second World War. But then in Edwardian times, was beer not safer to drink than water? Correct. So that's probably, I mean, they've got a bit more of an excuse. Well, no, to I'm, have a couple of I'm not sure if it was safer to drink than water. Maybe, definitely during the Victorian period, but in the Edwardian era, yeah, you did have, it was the advent of safer water and stuff uh, like well. that. Um, but people actually, they, they didn't necessarily drink beer, it was um, gin and things like that beforehand. Mm. Historically, gin was always the sort of main national drink because obviously beer and mead had water in. Um, Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that would have been drinking beer solidly for 12 hours a day for the rest of your life. Then again, the average life life expectancy was, what, early 40s at the most. In conclusion, maybe we shouldn't drink so much at Christmas. 
Yeah, well, obviously. Um, I think as a as a kind of final note on this particular uh, piece, she said that one uh, one study published in uh, in a medical journal called Addiction suggests alcohol is a culprit in at least seven types of cancers and potentially accounts for almost six percent of cancers worldwide. So, listeners, for those of you who are stocking up as we speak for the weeks ahead drink responsibly Indeed. I know I will be as a, as a sobering story for us to end on no pun intended <laughs> um, god I can't believe you said that and I think that what all these stories have shown is that data doesn't have to be and data journalism doesn't have to be impersonal and separated from ordinary yeah. people's lives and like society um you really can address things that affect people and are contemporary and like give stories a real human side um yeah i think that's pretty much all we've got time for thanks very much for being on this podcast with me james thoroughly